One of the things I think that often gets forgotten about Christmas, amid the Santa and uh, the pantos, of course, the nativities, the Christmas fairs, one of the things I think that often gets forgotten is that Christmas came with danger. Christmas came with danger and threat. Do you remember, first of all, there was Joseph. We had that just now in the Bible bite, didn't we? Um, if Joseph has decided to divorce or not go through with the engagement to Mary, uh, Mary and her offspring doubtless wouldn't have survived very well, might not have survived very long, ostracized by society. There was, there was threat there. Of course, second, there was also the intrigue of Herod. Do you remember that? Less talked about in the nativity plays. Finding out about the birth of a new king, Herod dispatches his army to Bethlehem to make sure that baby is never born. Of course, he misses it. But Christmas comes under threat. We forget that sometimes. Now, we've been seeing, I think, that this is no surprise. We've been looking through the Bible at these birth stories and how they point to the bigger story of the Lord Jesus. And we saw that actually from the very beginning of the Bible, there was a promise that the offspring of, of Satan would struggle against the offspring of Eve because God was promising that through Eve would one day come a saviour. A saviour was coming, a new Adam, to undo all that the first Adam got wrong. But that wouldn't be received well. The people of the first Adam wouldn't like it when a new Adam showed up. This offspring comes and he's a new younger brother, as it were, to Israel. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Israel had been called God's firstborn son? Do you remember that? And now the Lord Jesus arrives and he's everything Israel never were. He's the new Israel. And the old Israel wants to kill the new Israel. Christmas comes under threat, under danger. Now, in all sorts of ways, we feel under threat today. Or is that just me? I think Christians in particular feel under threat, don't we? We live in this world as aliens and strangers. We live here for another world, don't we? We don't feel at home here. And we accepted the Lord Jesus who came at the first nativity and we're waiting for him to come again. And while we live in this world, this world ticks to another agenda. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. Maybe you're here this morning. That's a very normal threat that you feel. And maybe you feel threatened by, by health this morning. And maybe you're here and uh, your loved ones are struggling. You feel perhaps under threat. And maybe you've had an awkward conversation this week with a neighbour or a colleague about Christian things. You wonder what will come of it. You're nervous. You feel threatened. I hope it will be okay. And maybe you're living the Christian life this morning and you feel as if you're clinging on by a thread. Your Christian life feels under threat. Well, the first Christmas came under threat. And indeed, so do the birth stories all the way through the Bible. So come with me, please, in particular, to Genesis 25. Here we're going to see a birth story that points to the bigger story that shows that God's promise actually usually... <laughs> came with that sense of threat, that the promised blessing of God would 
usually meet with opposition from the world, but that God's plans and promises always come true. They always come true. We're, we're going to see that clear as day in Genesis 25. Well, what's the setting? What's the background to our, our text this morning? Well, you'll see as you scan um, Genesis 25 that we're here at the end of Abraham's life. He dies and he's buried in a cave in the promised land. That's, that's a nice conclusion to Abraham's story. Um, Ishmael, the other son, settles in Egypt. Okay, that's fine. And God blesses Isaac. I don't know whether you spotted, noticed this detail. Verse 11, Isaac settles in a place called Beer Lahai Roy. Now, the Bible has lots of long words in it and lots of place names that we are unfamiliar with. And sometimes they're significant. And other times we just try and work out what's going on. This is, this is a place that's come up once before. Beer Lahai Roy was the place that Hagar, the servant girl, ran to when she was partially treated by Sarah in that terrible episode in Genesis 16. Our story then this morning begins in Hagar's place. You might remember Abraham has had the son of blessing. And you might think, well, thank goodness, we'll get past all of that business of rival sons, jealousy and barrenness. Maybe the story's going to be better from now on. We've had Isaac. But we meet Isaac now, and he's in the place where Hagar was. And so we wonder, have things moved on? Well, we'll see here that God's promise comes, but it still comes under threat. There are still threats. We're going to see four this morning, four threats. God's promise is coming. The line of blessing continues. The offspring of the promise will come. But here, there is a threat before there's a threat during the pregnancy of Rebecca and Isaac. There's threat after the pregnancy, and there's threat even up ahead <laughs> after, the, after the pregnancy. We're going to look at these four threats and see that God's promise stands firm through all of them. So here you go. Here's threat number one. Firstly, there's barrenness again. There's barrenness again. We had it in our last Bible story. We've got it again today. Look, read with me from, from verse 19 that we had read. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. The name comes up there twice, doesn't it? Abraham, Abraham. This is Abraham's line. This is the story of God's promise. Through this family, all the world will be made right again. But as the story moves to the next generation, as Abraham and Sarah give way to Isaac and Rebekah, we find Isaac on his knees. Look at verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, we need to remember how big a problem that is. I mean, barrenness is a, is a great problem of sadness. And it'd be awful even just in one family. But this is a threat to the whole world here. No offspring to Isaac and Rebekah. No continuation of Abraham's line. No nation to Abraham. No nation to Abraham. No promised son of blessing. No serpent crusher. No blessing to the world. No rescue for the world. The future of the world hangs in the balance in this pregnancy. With this couple. This is a really big threat. It's going to take 20 years for it to be overcome. But here it just gets one verse. 
Go to verse 21 again. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. 20 years all happens in a, a verse. We can imagine the heartache and the strife was all the same as Abraham experienced. And here Isaac prays. It's like deja vu, isn't it? The, ba- the barrenness. It's like, what? What? No, but hey, hang on. But what? <laughs> it's barrenness again. Lord, why would we come up against this again? The promised offspring of God faces a brick wall. But God punches a hole right through it again. Barren old Sarah, do you remember last time? Given a baby. Barren Rebecca, given conception too. There's threats before the pregnancy, but the Lord overcomes them. You know, since since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, we were told that childbearing would be difficult, that the world experienced a sense of curse. But here we're under no illusions, are we? God is bringing blessing. Isn't he? He's bringing life where there was none. God is keeping his promises. God is in control no matter what the threat. Now, we need to be reminded of that this morning, don't we? The threats that we face in this world of curse, the Lord will overcome them through his saviour. These birth stories are just the beginning. They're just a little signal of what's to come. And it's a little reminder here, isn't it, that it's all down to God, isn't it? How is this threat overcome? Isaac prayed. Isaac understood that if new life and hope were to come for this world, through a new Adam in a world of death, God would have to bring that about. (laughs) He couldn't do it. God would have to do that. God is the saviour, not us. Isaac didn't try and do it his own way. Remember, Abraham learned some lessons there, didn't he? Isaac prayed. And you know, at the end of this era in our Bibles... In the year of our Lord, hope for a saviour had almost died out. I don't know that many people were still waiting for a saviour to come. And yet we read in the early pages of the New Testament of a man called Zechariah going to the temple. We read of a man called Simeon in Luke chapter 2 who is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is waiting for a saviour. He is praying. There is a small remnant of people praying. And the Lord Jesus comes. There were threats before, but there were people who were praying. Threats in the world. I wonder if you depend on the power of God. I wonder if you depend on the Lord for his promises to come true. There's threat before. There's barrenness again. Secondly, threat number two, there's conflict in the womb in verses 22 to 23. There's conflict in the womb. God's done a miracle here. A barren woman's having a baby. And you might think the story would now be like, yeah, we're having a baby. And then like a nice birth story and here's the name of the baby kind of thing. But it's not quite so simple, is it? No sooner has Rebecca conceived, but we read, look, verse 22. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. There's a conflict in the womb of Rebecca. Here's God and he's made divine provision. He's given life. But now there's something wrong, something wrong with what God has done. The children struggle together. Now, people who know um, biblical Hebrew much better than me tell me that this word for struggle here 
it captures what's going on in the womb. But maybe not the tone and feel of it, not the brutality. The word for struggle here implies an exchange of blows. It implies that here are two babies in the womb, locked together in violence. Rebecca here, in other words, isn't in mild discomfort. This is really distressing, really distressing. The word speaks of collision and crushing and breaking one another. Can you imagine? It's nervous being pregnant, isn't it? And those odd feelings. Imagine feeling that. You'd be terrified, wouldn't you? I'm sure. But God has given this pregnancy. And so Rebecca, she asked, why is this happening to me? I mean, it feels like something bad is happening here. These kids are killing one another. Rebecca might have wondered, what future is there in this? Will I survive this? Will, Will the baby survive? And again, look the answer. Rebecca goes to inquire of the Lord. Under threat, Rebecca prays. She goes to find out what God says. She looks for God's wisdom and God's word. And about you, that's a challenge to me. She needs God's word. Will this threat, will this turmoil be the end of the promise? She goes to the Lord. Here's what the Lord says, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. God says to Rebecca, you're having twins. But they're special twins. They represent two nations that are going to be opposed to one another. And in your womb, these babies are acting out that, that, that conflict. But don't worry, they'll be divided down the line. There, there is a future. Different futures. This is what's going on. And so Rebecca knows the Lord is in control of it all. But why the hostility? I mean, why fight? Well, the answer there is in that verse, isn't it? It's in verse 23. These children struggle together because the stronger, older one is to serve the younger one. The Lord has chosen to break with tradition. He is going to give his blessing to the younger son. You'd normally think it would be the older one. Oh, the older one will, ha- will be the, the big heir. We'll continue the line of promise. But the Lord is showing mercy on whom he would show mercy. The Lord shows kindness to the younger son. And he can't expect congratulations. <laughs> no, there's conflict. There's conflict in the world. The offspring and nation to bless the world seems under threat in this pregnancy. But notice why the threat exists. It's because of God's choice. The threat of this rivalry in the womb, it's not outside of God's control. It's God's plan and purposes that has somehow kind of led to this conflict. But it's totally within God's control. Do you see? It was because the Lord chose to save the world by sending a new Abraham, a new, sorry, a new Adam to the manger in Bethlehem. It's because God chose to save through a new humanity that the people of the old Adam chose to kill him. It was because Jesus chose to show mercy to tax collectors and sinners that the elites wanted him dead. God is showing grace and mercy. Here to to Jacob, God is showing grace and mercy in the world today. 
And it is precisely because God shows that grace that some people don't like it. It's because we declare God has saved me and it's not nothing about me. I didn't deserve it. God just, God just did it. Jacob didn't deserve it. God just chose to save some. It was within God's control and all the persecution that followed, that was within God's control too. God is showing grace. And that's why the threat came about. I saw an advert on, uh, online this week. It was of a major UK high street retail bank. And they had this slogan on there which said, we are going to be the bank that, is the f- that stands up for human rights. We are, we are deciding that we are going to uh, not provide banking facilities to anyone who disagrees with our ethical policies. And I, I read this and I thought, well, yeah, this, that kind of sounds good. And then I read it again and thought, but what if I disagree with your ethical policies? What if the church does? What if banks were to choose to close church bank accounts? What if, uh, what if the banking industry decided to close my bank account or refuse my mortgage? Suddenly felt rather threatened last week. But as I read here, I remembered that God's radical plan to save is, is him lavishly bestowing his grace. He is saving and choosing to, to shower us with his grace. And it's all under his control. He means to save and save us to the end. And no matter what the threat, we're safe with him. The Lord says to Rebecca, there's threat, there's conflict in the womb. But I knew this would happen. It's no surprise to me. It's, it's happening because I'm bestowing my grace and it's under my control. There's threat then before the pregnancy. There's threat during the pregnancy. There's even threat after the pregnancy. I wonder if you noticed that. The pregnancy comes to an end and there's still drama. Of course, giving birth to twins today, I think, is still, well, is usually something that requires consultant supervision. Um, If you're having twins, I think I'm right in saying most people that deliver twins deliver quite early these days, often um, inducted early. Lots of scans, lots of attention. Well, here's here's the account of the birth of the twins. It's there in verse 24. Uh, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. I'm told there are lots of different um, positions. We're going to do some biology here. Uh, I'm told there are lots of different positions of babies in wombs prior to delivery. You might have heard of the breech position. Is that feet first? I think that's feet first. Uh, You might have heard of posterior presentation or the transverse lie. I don't know what those are but apparently they're their thing. Um, well, this delivery was even more unusual. Um, Esau comes out and, and the, the midwife goes, oh, isn't that cute? He's sort of holding his foot as he's delivered. Oh, wait, no, hang on. Uh, he's not holding his foot. The other baby is holding his foot. Uh, there's another hand trying to pull Esau back and get ahead. I believe a breach delivery is not easy and is quite challenging, 
Well, imagine giving birth to twins who are trying to get out of the birth canal together at the same time. And that's what's going on here. <laughs> There's a fight in the delivery. Threat before, threat during, threat after. There's a tussle in the delivery suite. But actually, even this happens all as God had foreordained. The first one comes out just ahead. And he's named after his complexion. He came out looking a kind of ruddy red. Later in the story, this baby Esau, the red one, will despise his birthright for a, a bowl of red stew. The first one comes out, the red one. And it's actually just as, as God plans. The second one gets called Jacob, or rather he gets called heel grabber, because that's what the name Jacob means. I imagine they thought that was a cute name, or the one that grabbed the heel. I imagine they, they thought that. But no, again, that speaks more than just a name. That's exactly what Jacob will become. He's, he's one who tricks and deceives and grabs at anything. He tricks his father. Later in the story, he tricks his brother. His brother wants to kill him. But actually, that all happens as messy as it is, according to God's plan. You look at this. I look at this and think, this is so messy. <laughs> what is God doing here? Are these two brothers? I mean, actually, if I'm honest, I probably wouldn't want any of them in my saving plans for the world. Uh, this, this ruddy, red, brutish one who turns out to be pretty careless, this wily, cheeky, grabby Jacob, deceitful cheat, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any of them. But God here chooses to save anyway. He sets his affections on Jacob. And even though this birth is a mess, even though it's horrible, even though they're fighting one another, God chooses to save whom he will and show his grace. And his plans continue. His plans continue anyway. It was messy. It was dangerous. But the womb of Rebecca will be used in God's plans. Because from that womb comes the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. The line of blessing. And picture the scene, the teenage girl in Bethlehem finding the only room she can. And carried in her womb, in a town in the middle of nowhere, no medical staff on hand, a cold, dangerous night, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in the womb of Mary, he carries the names of the ones he will save. In the womb there, he is ready to go to the cross. He is ready to go through the danger of delivery in the backwater of Bethlehem. He is ready to go to the cross to save. You wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't do it, would you? Send the very son of God into the mess of the delivery suite. And hardly much of one of those. But God does it. Through the threat, through the danger of the birth. God's plan from eternity past coming through Seemingly every single threat for you and for me. Oh, it might have seemed dangerous, but it was all according to God's power and purposes. And if you're a Christian this morning, I wonder what threat you are feeling. 
I expect you're feeling threats in various ways, big and small. Perhaps you're feeling the threat of living as a Christian and worrying about social rejection, social hostility, social isolation. I follow Jesus. I claim that he's showing his blessing and grace to me. Well, know that in every part of your life, in every circumstance, it's within God's good control. Every seeming threat to God's purposes may have seemed to threaten, but none of them not God's plan of purpose. Can I ask you if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you say, I'm, I'm here, I'm just looking in. If that's you. Well, look at this. Look at this story. Look at the, the, the plan of God's purposes working generation by generation. I hope you can see. That it does seem dangerous to, to follow the Lord Jesus. We do have to count the cross. But I wonder if you can see how, how dangerous it would be to not have Christ. Because here, here, here is how much God is behind his purposes. He will protect his promise through every single threat. To bring his saving plans to the world. Do you want to be without that? Do you want to be without the God who would go through all of this and far more for you and for me? Would you want to be without that? I don't know that I would. There's threat before, threat during, threat after. There's even threat up ahead. There's tension looking forward. The last few verses, verse 27 and 28. These last verses, really, they're a bit of a hinge to the rest of the story. And uh, you might like to go away and read the rest of the story. Um, it's, there's quite a lot of drama in there. And these, buttons hit the, these, these verses hit the fast-forward button, and they reveal a tension going forward. Look with me at those verses. Verse 27, it says, When the boys grew up, there you go, fast-forward, Esau uh, was, became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in his tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. These boys are going to grow up and you think, oh, happily ever after. But then read the description. One loves the outdoors. One loves the indoors. Brothers that couldn't be more different. One is a hunter. The other a quiet man. And it wasn't just that they were different, but they were loved by different people in the family. There is divided loves and divided preference. Isaac loved Esau. And Rebecca loved Jacob. Can't help read those verses and feel a little bit worried for the future, can you? How's that all going to get worked out? They don't seem like they're going to be best mates. And the family doesn't seem all that happy either. It feels like there's tension looking forward, threat ahead. But again, I hope you can see the Lord's control. The author gets it. Notice the details in the text. We're told Isaac loved Esau because of his game. The author knows how important this is. Don't think this is a threat that's going to evolve outside of God's control. Isaac loves Esau because of his food. And, and that's going to come up. The Lord is going to use the mess. In his plans and his purposes. The author knows Esau is the red man. Knows that Jacob is the trickster. The Lord knows 
Everything that's going to happen. He is totally, uh, he's totally in control. There may be a tension as the passage looks forward. But the Lord is in control. Everything's happening according to his plans and his purpose. You know, by the end of this chapter, by the end of the next couple of chapters, um, Esau is going to be out to murder Jacob. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> there is tension building. But it's all going to happen through God's purposes. God is going to achieve his plans anyway. And actually, that word of the Lord is going to come true. The descendants of Esau, the Edomites, they are going to be opposed to the descendants of Jacob, the, the, the Israelites. And that tension that looks forward, it's going to build. Until one day in, in, in the year of our Lord, the Romans ruled in the land of Judea, in the land of Galilee and Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem. The Romans ruled and they put in place some rulers called the Herods. You might be familiar with them from the nativity scene. Now, this isn't directly mentioned in the Bible, um, but it's pretty well attested in all the historical textbooks. It seems that the, the Herods were of Edomian descent. In other words, they were Edomites. You see, there was threat ahead. Esau versus Jacob, Esau versus Jacob, Edom versus Israel. And it follows all the way through the Bible story until Herod, a descendant of Esau, wants to put to death the Lord Jesus, a descendant of Jacob. There was threat going forward. But the Lord Jesus is in control. He would escape Herod's threat, wouldn't he, at that nativity scene? He would, Mary and Joseph and Jesus would run away to Egypt. They would escape that Herod. And the Lord Jesus would live for 33 years until under another Herod, under another threat of Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians, the Lord Jesus would walk the path, walk the path to the cross. But he said it was only... <laughs> For the hour at which he would give his life. It only happened according to the very plan of God that he would die and three days later rise to conquer sin and death. There's threat looking forward here, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. That the blessing of God might come to the whole world. So as we consider our futures... And our paths ahead. Do you think we're able to trust the Lord with them? What's worrying you today? Big decision ahead feels cloudy. Maybe you feel lost in the church today. You don't really know your part to play. Worried about the future. Maybe you're crippled by anxieties. So many what if questions never seem to end. Maybe you're stressed out by family at the moment. And maybe you're stressed out by work. Everything seems to be going wrong. Uh, maybe you look around the world today and you think, I just don't know how to keep going as a Christian. Well, do you see, God promised a new Adam to defeat Satan. And all the while, all through the Bible story, the forces of evil would work to, to stop that baby ever coming. Here in Genesis 25, there was threat before, there was threat after, there was threat ahead. But you see, none could touch him. None could touch him 
until he let them at the hour of the cross. The hour that would be his victory. Where he would do exactly as the angel said in the Bible by it. Where he would become the saviour who rescues us from our sin. The thing we often forget about Christmas, amid the pantos and the nativities and the mince pies, is that Christmas came amid threats and danger. Christmas came, though, to show God's mercy, his desire to save and rescue, to call people who have no right ever to be rescued by God, to save some for himself. And his plan to do that, whether we deserve it or not, his plan to do that was utterly relentless, totally relentless. No threat could stop him. And I want us to look and see that in the baby in the manger. Amid Herod's rage, amid Satan's anger, generation by generation, look in that crib. See that baby sent from heaven, God's own son. And no one could stop him. Save you and me. No threat would stop him. Will we trust him? Shall we pray? Our loving Father, as we look at this story, we see the mess. We see people who, who don't deserve to be shown any mercy. But it's your heart to lavish your grace on needy sinners. And Father, thank you that you would do that for, for us and, and many more beside. And Father, thank you that when we trust you, we can be confident that no threat will ever stop your promises. No threat will ever stop your desire to win for yourself a people and to save them for eternity. Thank you that the, the Lord Jesus' birth is the revelation of that, is the reminder of that. Might we believe that the Lord Jesus' birth means that whatever threat ahead for us, we can be confident in you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.